Hi everyone and welcome to a new episode of Skills for Mars, the podcast that articulates the future of work. Today we will discuss one of my favorite topics, building meaningful careers in an ever-changing world. My guests, Jamie Albers, the co-founder of Mento, an organization that helps the reskilled have an easier transition, understand the world of work and navigate the paradox of choice, and David Timish, who is joining us for the second time on the podcast. He is leading Global Communications for Generation, a nonprofit that is training and placing people into life-changing careers around the world. We will talk about the impact this past one and a half years has had on the job market, the harsh realities of career transitioning for the reskilled, transforming education to allow for multiple and diverse pathways throughout our lives, the four C's needed to succeed in the world of work. Through this podcast, we are bringing the future of work closer to you. If you enjoy the content, don't forget to like, subscribe, and share your thoughts in the comment section below. Your views and your feedback are extremely important to the development of the podcast. Enjoy our conversation. Hi, Jamie. Hi, David. And welcome to Skills for Mars. Thank Hello. you so much for having us. Thank you. Excited to be here. Very glad to be hosting you. I think this is a very timely discussion. Uh, we were just uh, watching with David the World Economic Forum talking about skills, reskilling, where the world is going, the future of work. Jamie, you've been involved in this for quite some time, and that's, that's one of your passions. So very glad to be doing this with you. Well, excited to opine uh, on the future. Just to have everyone know a bit about yourselves. David, we've done this before, but just a small introduction maybe for those who haven't watched our first uh, round. Jamie, do you, would you like to start a, a bit about yourself and uh, what you do and what, what got you passionate about the future of work and the future of employment? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, hi, I'm Jamie. Uh, <laughs> um, and yeah, I am the, I'm a co-founder of Mento, which is a career support platform that helps people manage and navigate their careers. Um, I started my career back at Google many moons ago. Um, I jumped around uh, at Google for quite some time. And then I spent the past four years at Jigsaw, which is a a technology incubator owned by Google based in New York uh, that develops technology to tackle some of the biggest challenges on the internet. Um, I mean, Google's always talked a lot about the future of work, employment, skills development. Um, but for me, when what really sort of sparked my passion in this was um, through my work at Jigsaw, I got a chance to interact with a lot of women who were experiencing extreme challenges online. Um, and it made me very scared for the future if women around the world, um, particularly in more repressive societies where women don't necessarily have a voice, what happens um, if they can't develop the digital skills that they need to compete in today's or even exist in today's economy. So um, I started a data science training program for women in Nigeria a few years ago, um, and that just continued my passion. And, and here I am now. I started a whole company around it as a result. Um, and also my, my own experience. Of course, we all have these moments throughout our careers where we're trying to figure out what it is that we want. And I felt like for the better part of a decade, I was in existential crises, trying to figure out where I was going and what I was doing. Um, and, and so I'm like, okay, there's got to be a better way for us to all figure this out. So that's why I wanted to, you know, dedicate my 
my, like, I guess my next decade to it. Right. I think we all, who knows what our futures will hold now, because I feel like every few years we're all having these major career changes. So I don't want to say forever. Um, but it's a really important to me, um, try to ensure that women, people of color, other folks not represented is particularly in technology are able to find a pathway, um, into, into better paying jobs. Looking forward to talking about this. And I'm quite yeah. curious how Mento <laughs> developed since the last time we spoke. Yeah. David? Uh, I'm going to be brief since uh, I had the pleasure of joining one of your previous sessions. So I'm David, originally from Transylvania, Romania, um, communications consultant, online learning consultant. But, you know, the common thread of my work and the, the, the way I direct it is towards the future of work. Uh, and that's how we, we got in touch also with Jamie in a sense, because we both worked at Google at the time in which Google, and it still is a company that puts a lot of emphasis on the future of work and helping people be better prepared for it. In my case, uh, I was not working directly with Jigsaw. I was working with the Grow with Google program in Romania, my home country, where I was managing the initiative and training young people in digital skills. Then I moved to Brussels in the EU office of Google, where I trained politicians in digital skills. Um, fast forward a few a few years after, and I, we worked together with, with Jamie on, on Mento, her latest endeavor, which is a really exciting uh, business that is trying also to help people in their job transitions. And I guess what brought us all here is the future of work. So looking forward to the discussion with, with both of you. I think the first uh, topic that we need to touch on is the current job environment and what's happening right now. I think everyone feels that it is uh, unstable and insecure. Uh, if I've heard the numbers correctly, about 250 million people lost their jobs during uh, the, the past year. About uh, 81 million are going, more are going to lose their jobs in the uh, next time to come. Plus, the moment the governments are going to stop their subsidies and the economic crisis will hit, I think a lot of people will get hurt. And, a lot of econ and the economy will get hurt and then the whole society will, uh, will get hurt. How do you feel this from uh, definitely, Jamie, from, from your experience with Mento, with working with various companies? How does it feel in the trenches? You know, it's um, when we started working people on their job searches, you know, call it right after um, the pandemic, a lot of people came to us, um, you know, we're based in the U.S. And so we primarily work with folks in the U.S. and a lot of people came to us you know, right as they got very suddenly laid off. And that was a really traumatic time for people. A lot of people that hadn't quite felt job insecurity before in that way, or maybe some people that had and felt really defeated by it. Um, and a lot of people needing to figure out, well, what are my benefits? And I mean, not quite the same challenges for some of, some of you guys in uh, Europe over there, but you know, healthcare is tied to most people's healthcare is tied to employers here. Um, most people figuring out how to navigate unemployment insurance. I mean, it was a really, really difficult experience for a lot of people. And, you know, a lot of people ended up moving back home with their families, um, moving to more affordable cities. So in some ways there are some, I think, interesting benefits that we'll see, particularly in the U.S., where economic growth was concentrated in a few urban cities. Um, but, you know, kind of coming out of that traumatic experience, I think there's a few things, which is that um, it forced people to think about, like, what makes me happy? What do I want to be doing? Um, and so giving people an opportunity to maybe reroute, um, which is not something that you can normally do for a lot of people. But if you do have 
unemployment insurance, you might be able to. So in one way, uh, for some people, that was amazing. Um, I think for a lot of people, um, especially folks in the service industry that don't have a lot of support, there's huge question marks, um, particularly here in the U.S., about what's going to happen with the stimulus package and what restaurant reopenings look like and service industry looks like for folks here. Um, we have seen that, you know, especially for more white collar workers, there has been a rebound and definitely for certain uh, blue collar workers as well. Like delivery um, is huge right now. Everyone's getting everything delivered. Um, you know, warehouse workers, tons of packages. These aren't sustainable solutions, but they do provide people with a paycheck. Um and that is important. Again, I think a lot uh, will will depend on what happens in the next, you know, call it month or so here in terms of the stimulus package. We have started seeing things in job search improve. It just takes a long time. You know, you're not going to find a job in two months. You're not going to have every recruiter knocking at your door like you might have used to, where a lot of people would be like, oh, this job fell in my lap. Like someone reached out to me on LinkedIn we're good. Um, people have to work harder for it um, because you're competing against maybe 250 other people who are applying for that job who might be just as qualified as you are. Um, so we're going to see a lot of shifts. Um, and I think that that trend is going to, to stick around. Yeah, it is incredible. And I think a lot of these jobs, as you just said, they are not, not sustainable because the moment the service industry will go down, the delivery industry will go down, a lot of people will be left without uh, without jobs. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, we'll talk about this later, I'm sure. But, you know, what happens also long term to these jobs when automation uh, displaces a lot of these folks? So that's that's something else that we have to well, we have to think about as well. But I think just focusing on the next like year and seeing how we can support the economy and make sure that people have, you know, can pay their bills um, and maybe even pay their rent as well. Like that's kind of the, the main focus, I think, for right now um, is just, you know ensuring that people have some sort of employment. I'm very curious, are there any uh, are there any subsidies given or any legislation given to help them reskill? Um, not that I know of. Um, there are like loan forgiveness programs in the US. So if you go to law school and you work for the government for 10 years, um, you would could have your loans forgiven. Um, uh, 10 years is a long time. Um, law school is not feasible for everyone um, for a variety of reasons. Um, you know, there are a lot more efforts in terms of the big, big thing that's happened is online education has exploded. I'm sure you guys have seen the similar trends in Europe. And so I think that's really where, where we're going to see interesting trends um, emerge. Um, I'm not sure if these are as popular in Europe either, but for, you know, ISAs have become very popular here in the U.S., which is an income share agreement, which basically says that uh, you go to school for free, uh, but then after, once you graduate and you're making over a certain amount, typically it's about $50,000 per year, then you give about, you know, call it 17 to 20% of your income to the school or whoever was your loan provider for the next, you know, four to six years, depending on your agreement. So that has become in really popular as a way to um, for people to access uh, education. And so those are usually through boot camps of some kind. So software developer, marketing, um, sales, uh, you name it. Um, but that I think has been that acceleration to online education, um, I think will have downstream effects, which is that it will become accessible to a lot more people who maybe hadn't considered it for themselves before.
I just hope that companies start recognizing this kind of education and not just university-based education. There are a lot of online courses that you can take right now, but not a lot of employers recognize them or recognize that sort of education. I know, David, I heard you talking in one of your latest podcasts about uh, where education should go and sh who should be responsible about, uh, about this. If you want, uh, if you want to uh, share your insights, that would be amazing. Uh, sure, but before, since I uh, logged out for a second and I didn't have a chance to contribute to the first question, I just wanted to make sure it's also very clear because sometimes uh, I forget, uh, you know, being too caught up in calls, but, you know, I, I do forget this sometimes and I do want to remember it more. And I hope uh, some of the people watching will also go for the same phase of remembering and realizing how lucky we are because what COVID has done globally is it increased inequalities and, and disparities that were already there. So we are lucky that we are, you know, able now to work remotely. So, for, so for many people, this this whole crisis enabled now enabled them now to work remotely, which can be a real benefit for for many of us, and also it allowed us, as Jamie was saying, to recalibrate a bit and think what we want to do. If, anyways, if we had enough uh, uh, cash put on the side to to support us during this reflection time, or if we had a job at the time and, and did this on the side. But many people didn't. And what I see more and more is, as you also said, Julia, how now governments are offering uh, various schemes like furloughs and so on to keep businesses and people afloat. But when this will stop, it's a big, big question what will happen to many, many people around the world. And I'm genuinely concerned about this because, you know, from our previous discussion, I'm a huge supporter of, of, of solutions like universal basic income, at least for the short term, until something better is found to support millions of people who will be uh, at a higher risk of, of any, everything from emotional to financial turmoil after the, the pandemic subsides. Oh, sorry, resides. But going back now to your question on education, and, and we've discussed a lot about this also with Jamie during our collaboration and, and uh, you know, informally as well as friends, how um, nowadays we do live in this, as I like to call it sometimes, slot machine world in which we want results fast and education is not built for this. Education is built for you staying in, in a class ideally for four years and then getting a degree that doesn't guarantee you any job or source of income. And I think that's that sort of a form of education is slowly but surely dying and for a good reason because it's not really representative of the world we live in. And I foresee ideally a future in which employers and uh, education providers are collaborating very closely so that it's, if not a guarantee it's or, or a given, it's a high chance that after you finish a certain class or a training, it's pragmatic enough and practical enough that you'll have a job at the end of it. And, and the, 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 the lifespan of education will also change because since we have to now go through lifelong learning, you're not going to go for a four-year degree. You might go for, you know, this sort of a micro-credential format that Google was also really pushing for with, with Udacity of one year micro-credential in one subject, then maybe in five years you need to reskill in, in a completely different subject. So um, credential-based uh, shorter-term education formats that are really putting both employers and education providers at the same table are the key in the future, in my opinion. And everything else will, uh, without trying to be too dramatic, will either die or not be in the top anymore. Uh, so definitely education needs to be, uh, you know, revolutionized in some way. And hopefully the pandemic will increase the chances of that happening soon. Have you seen any kind of movement? Rethinking, rethinking education, basically. I've seen it, but it's just at the really, um, how do you, it's not, it's not scalable yet. It's, it's something that maybe Harvard or Stanford are doing or Oxford and Cambridge, you know, the top schools in the world, which already had 
many advantages. So they're already in touch with employers. They already have degrees which are, if not uh, collaboratively done with the with the, maybe the tech employer, but really in a close connection with. And there's famous programs at Stanford and at other top universities in which most graduates end up in some of these companies. So there is example. There are examples, but it's nothing which is yet scalable to all employees. Maybe even the least attractive ones, because obviously most people do want to try out working for a tech company these days, but not maybe everybody wants to work for one of the more traditional employers from from you know what what maybe was sexy for our parents or our grandparents. So it should be replicable for all employers, and I don't where I haven't at least yet seen such a model with traditional education. However. With other programs of reskilling, I think there's much more potential. And what I foresee is that, again, the innovation will come from private companies or NGOs outside of the mainstream education that will innovate. And then hopefully, uh, open-minded ministries of education and governments will take that model and scale it uh, nationally. I feel that the current world right now has endless possibilities for people choosing careers. Like literally... If you decide to do something, there is there's training about it. You can find jobs at the intersection of various skills that you have. You can even invent jobs and sell yourself on the market. And I think we've never had this sort of opportunities in our life. Do people still feel it like this, especially now that they're coming from a place of fear, of not really understanding uh, insecurity, not really understanding what's going to happen? Do they see the array of possibilities that they have? Do you have to coach them in a, in a certain direction? How does yeah. it happen? Yeah. So I think there's a few interesting trends that are happening that I see. One, um, career switching is still incredibly difficult um, just because you can, and I think this is part of the challenge that the education system or like this new emergent education system is going to need to solve is uh, it's still very, very challenging. And like nine months in a software developer program is might not actually be enough to be workplace ready. And particularly in the US, we don't really have a lot of transition programs of an apprenticeship. Internships are technically usually reserved for, um, you know, new grads, like university system. So I think that there's a big opportunity to try to switch that um, and model so that people who are making career switches have a pathway into these new roles. Um, but otherwise it's still very, very hard to do on your own. So I think that is like one of the most difficult things that people who, let's say, um, were working in a service industry job, um, let's say working as like, you know, in a restaurant, then they go to a UX design bootcamp for four months. And it's a pretty harsh reality to realize that you're not actually prepared to enter into a new job, like where do you where do you go? So I also think to David's point, we need to have this a tighter feedback loop between employers and, and new educators in order to actually help people more easily transition. Um, again, it's very much possible. It will get easier because I think companies and hiring managers and recruiters will all become more accustomed to seeing this. Um, I think we still have a bias for traditional things that we can recognize as like a place where you've worked or in the U.S. in particular, a particular type of university degree. Um, so I think there's that trend that will be interesting to see how that happens. There's definitely um, a paradox of choice 
um, and not knowing all that's out there and then discovering all that's out there and trying to figure it out. Um, it does feel like in one hand, there's endless opportunities um, that, that you are constantly learning, especially for people who have not been in the tech industry, but are trying to move into it. The tech industry is a million different jobs, a million different job titles that vary by company. And so it's actually incredibly confusing to navigate and try to figure it out. And then I think the other thing that we see across the board is people just want, you know, their basics met, like, you know, we, we've worked a lot with Amazon warehouse workers who are upskilling, um, in front end development and are trying to make a transition. And a lot of what people just want is I want to be able to work from home so I can spend more time with my family. Um, I like, you know, don't want physical labor because it's hard on my body. Um, people have like pretty basic needs that need to be met still um, in, in the workplace. Um, but making that transition and navigating it can be quite difficult. Um, and that's where both technical education and soft skills. And I think, again, this is also where new emergent educations haven't quite caught up is that the way their compensation model doesn't necessarily, you know, you're trying to get people in and out usually as quickly as possible. And that doesn't mean they're not, and they're trying to provide them great training, but, um, there also isn't as much like, this is how you navigate a, workplace um, that's mostly tech-based and you're on your computer all the time and how you work from remote and communicate with colleagues. Like there's all these things that you kind of pick up by virtue of being in certain education systems by seeing other people go into certain types of jobs, being taught certain things, or just being able to pick it up by your environment. So I think there needs to be like a great mesh of all of these things um, <laughs> to help people. Um, and lastly, I also just think is that people really care about their happiness. Um, people aren't always going. And I think this is something that I think a lot of people felt after the pandemic is like, you know, uh, life is short or, you know, there you only like, do you need to be on the uh, hedonic treadmill of like trying to climb XYZ corporate ladder and uh, giving up your life for it? Cause that's often what it requires. Um, you might be making a lot of money, but if you have no life and you're just kind of kind of go, 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 like what, what does that mean for that's you? Point. Um, that doesn't necessarily breed happiness. So that's another thing a lot of people are trying to figure out. I'm actually happy to hear that. I'm actually happy to hear that people are getting I know, it's nice, out right? of the red wheel. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and that's what I always, I'm like the hedonic treadmill is always going to be there for you. You're always going to think that you need to be doing more. Um, and it's a struggle that we all face. Um, uh, but it's, you know, there are other, other ways you don't have to do that. If that's not what makes you happy. I'm also happy that careers are not for life anymore. And I know we were chatting oh, yeah. uh, previously and, uh, you were saying, Hey, uh, people are now in tech change jobs every, every two, three years. Yeah. And like, Yes, finally, this is happening. I mean, who wants to get stuck? I work sometimes with people that are in the same job for 25, 30, 35 years. I, have, I had one guy who was in his job for more than 40 years in one job. Wow. One job. He got to kind of high level, <laughs> same job, same company. I'm sorry, but what's the value for you and what's the value for the company at some point? Because you know everyone, you know your way around, you know exactly how to swim through the lanes to get things done and it's just becoming comfortable I, I think comfortable is not good anymore we shouldn't get comfortable changing jobs quite frequently learning new skills 
being there always on the time all, all the time uh, ready to do something new is is what will keep us uh, running but i'm curious um you were mentioning Jamie about amazon and the front end uh, front end development uh, switch how did it work You're, is, is um, it still so, ongoing yeah so it's done through amazon they have a career choice program um their goal is to um upskill 100,000 warehouse workers whose jobs will be displaced by automation um so it's not just you know workers tend to have a choice um there's a bunch of different programs they can choose um and a lot of people are opting for um front end development so they take about Uh, a six month course. Um, they have to do it on their weekend. So five days are at the warehouse um, or in their in their normal capacity. Um, and two days are spent um, training um, and learning how to become uh, front end developers. Is it working? You know, that's a great question. Uh, we're working with these folks on, um, they're preparing for their job search. So helping them with all of their materials, helping them prepare for interviews, um, helping them set up a plan and strategy, helping them figure out places where they might want to go. Uh, you know, what what kind of, there are, like once you, the, I think one of the beauties, which I didn't mention before, but is like, if you have this training, it does open up doors for you, even if you don't want to be a front-end developer. Maybe you want to go into IT support. Uh, maybe you want to go into technical customer success. Like there's maybe, you know, maybe you want to go into QA, there's lots of other roles that this opens up to you because you have some sort of technical understanding. So, you know, and I think that's something that's phenomenal is that, you know, making that switch um, to maybe white collar work or remote work where you can have some of these things and then you can kind of figure out what to do. And I think um, that's something that I have become increasingly interested in is like, how do we help people think about their careers in terms of a progression. I think oftentimes the way we where we think in society, and this goes back to my existential crises that I had, um, was that like, you know, like you always need to be like at the place that you're supposed to be, but your career has been a, a progression. You know, I started on customer service at Google, 8662 Google, you called, you got me on the phone. And, and, you know, it's like, you always have to remind yourself that your first step into a job or into an industry is certainly not going to be your last, but how do you help people identify these pathways, um, to getting to where they want to go or getting to even experience with something is like, um, you know, you don't have to make a commitment to being a front end developer. Um, and so there, and then on top of that, you know, there's this new whole industry of passion projects of everybody having their side projects and doing things on the side. So, You know, if you want to do your IT support, uh, then continue, you know, find that online community of developers, join hackathons. Like there's so much out there for people to continue to hone their skills and learn about themselves, learn about what they want to do, um, what makes them happy and, and to chart that path. And that's one of the reasons why, particularly in terms of Mento, you know, why we want to stay with people throughout their careers is that your career isn't like a one-off. Just transitioning to a job is not just like a thing and then you're done. It's like, okay, well, what happens afterward? Um, upskilling, you know, transitioning smoothly into that company. But then you're also always faced with these questions of like, is this making me happy? Is this what I want to do? If there's something else that I want to do, what, how else should I be thinking about it? So just continuing to provide people throughout support throughout these processes, um, throughout these different opportunities to learn about ourselves and what we want um, is really crucial, um, I think, into terms of helping people transition into the economy and, and make way for, even though 
switching jobs is every two years is great. It's also does breed insecurity because you're basically always thinking about what you want to do next or what you should be doing next. Or, you know, it does create a little bit, it can create more stress. For sure. For sure. But you can get used to that as well. But I'm curious yes, how you sure. guys think about the upskilling, reskilling, learning something new and the blockages towards that. Because I find that a lot of the blockages are not so much with, with education and even government, but a lot of them are with the individual in switching mm-hmm. careers, especially at the, at the later age. Yeah, you know, imposter syndrome is so real for everyone. Honestly, I think that's a mentality shift and feel like developing that self-confidence that you can do that. Um, I mean, I think David has a lot of good thoughts on this. So I'd be curious um, what he has to say as a big champion and believer and having a growth mindset. But yeah, I think, you know, if you don't see a lot of people around you that are in the same position, you might not know anyone that has that kind of job. So how can you model yourself after? Um, Or, you know, I'm the old guy in the room and that's tough for me. Like, I mean, you know, you can imagine so many different ways that this manifests, but um, particularly in a society where, you know, you might be the only career switcher that came from a, a warehouse, like that's definitely not going to always make you imbue you with confidence. You're probably always going to say like, you know, do I, do I really belong here? Um, uh, but I think we all feel those things in different ways and at different times in our careers. And I think that's also what, what we believe is part of our role is helping people build their self-confidence, um, which honestly, everyone can use a bit of, um, it's something very much we've, we've noticed we're all, we're all, we're all our harshest critics, um, and helping people believe in themselves and find what their superpowers and understand their superpowers and be able to articulate that and be proud of that is a whole process, um, that people need to go through. And I think that's something that we've, we've, we've seen a lot. Um, that was a surprise. They didn't quite realize that that was going to be such a big part of the job transition process. Um, uh, but you know, I think again, that's why people also need support and it can be hard to do on your own. It is hard. David, I'm curious on uh, your thoughts as well. Um, I wanted to add to what Jamie said, or maybe to complement, uh, the fact that I think what mentor does really good is, is occupies this, or it, it comes in this niche of, in a sense, career coaching, because uh, many of the people we've trained and, and people in general, I can name one, myself, we didn't really take advantage or had the opportunity be, to, to be career coach when we were young in high school or at critical stages of our life. And this is a global issue, especially now when we live in the paradox of choice, who's teaching our brothers, sisters, kids, who's teaching them how to choose a career when there's so many options and there's you know, so, so, many, so much diversity. And, and I think this is what Mento does really well of, of coming in and, and filling in this gap and helping many people figure out what's their next step and how to make it properly. But then what also I realized working with Jamie over the summer was that reskilling is, is not, as, ex, as exactly as she said, is not something that is, you know, a couple of weeks done, next, next, next cohort. No, it's actually a long-term process in which you have to even provide mentorship to the trainees, to the students, after they get a job, reskilling and you know changing industry is not easy. Yet we do live in a world with many options. And I also am a big fan of switching careers and, and making sure you do something you love because we only live one life. But nobody's really prepared, regardless of who you are, of, of what your superpower is, but nobody's really prepared 
to do these transitions. And it's, it's good to see organizations like Mento and others that are coming in to fill this gap to help us navigate the sea of change and the, the, the career transitions that more and more of us will do in the future. So I think reskilling in the future will be done by organizations that manage to go you know, full circle of reskilling people, mentoring them, so actually reskilling them, helping them get the job and then still mentoring them once they have that job secured because you know you're not done you, you still need those especially those first six months you need all the support you can get especially if you change the industry completely so the challenges are huge but also it's it's again i want to end on a positive note it's great to see that organizations are stepping up to fill this 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 void of career coaching and and job search transition support but I think you're you're both touching on something, and you've touched during the whole discussion about something very sensitive uh, and not really happening at this point. How we coordinate between uh, educators, uh, business, and government. It's true. It's definitely true. There's, there's not enough alignment. And I see it in, in my home country, in Romania, and in other places in the world. There's still this lack of dialogue, literally, between employers and employees. There are good examples. There's countries, and I think I remember an example a friend of mine from Sweden gave me, if I'm not mistaken in which in Sweden every year, the government plans the sort of demand for the labor market. So if there's a huge demand for doctors, more seats will be available in universities that have this domain, medicine universities. If there's you know a bigger demand in IT support specialists, those uh, universities that specialize people in this subject will have more seats available. So matching supply and demand is something we, we often forget to do and it's super important in romania romania is a country which is famous for and you probably know very well growing up in romania julia how it was a you know a, a, a huge number of people who was at some point studying for international relations and we're not the us we don't have that uh, you know international exposure to really use such a degree or to accounting work in this in this field and uh, it's just one subject and I don't, I mean, I did international relations as well recently, so I'm, I'm not, I don't have anything against people who do this, but because the universities encourage people to do it and not really have a plan for them when they finish university and have enough jobs for, for people finishing with this and other specialities, there is a problem. And, and that's how it all, it all links, you know, you don't have a career coach, so you end up studying for something that is maybe not so relevant for you and also maybe not so useful for society in that year or in that point of time. And then you end up going for more educations and paying for more programs that you know could have been sorted if you'd got that proper support initially. And, and if governments or actually Ministry of Education and universities would collaborate more closely with, with employers from the start, when even they design the curriculum, not just when they when they fin when the students finish the, the university or the master program. Jamie, tell me what's next for Mento. Where are you now? What's next? How is Mento yes. developing? Um, great question. So yeah, right now, um, we are in the process of developing a product to help people, um, from the start of their job search, uh, like when they're thinking about it, um, through to when they find a job and, and beyond. So staying with them as they onboard and make that transition into a new role and then stay with them, uh, every month, um, whether it be through content or courses, tools to manage our career, things like that. <clears throat> right now, so our first product. Um, it will be okay. one day, you know, I'm just giving you a view into the future because, you know, we're friends. Um, right now we are heavily focused on our job search product and experience. And, you know, the way that we even start our experience 
um, with the job search is what we call the self-discovery process. Because what we found working with hundreds of job searchers is that people would go through the job search and then realize that they wanted to do something else. Um, because they were, you know, when you're going through your job search, you're forced to take a pretty hard look in the mirror. Like, well, why do you even want to work there? Why do you want that job? What does interest you? What does make you happy? Or honestly, like, where does, what does your skills even match right now? Um, you know, maybe going for that, you know, senior software engineering job isn't the best next step for you. Maybe it's saying, okay, I just graduated from this boot camp. I'm going to go join. The most important thing to me right now is uh, security, stability. I want, you know, a 40 hour work week kind of job. So I'm going to go into a role for an amazing company as a technical success manager, not as a develop as an as a designer or developer, but on the side, I'm going to work on all those skills, and then I hope that I'm going to transition into that role. So those are the kinds of things that we help people with, and by building a product um, that we can help people from start to the end of their job search. So then also a big emphasis for us is really helping people develop their communication skills as well. So a lot of the job search is just is storytelling, is learning how to tell your story, communicate your story. Um, and, and then, you know, learning how to apply to jobs, there's a whole situation around that as well, especially right now when things are very competitive, but also particularly in the U S market, it's very referral based. So how do you get a network if you don't have one? So we try to help people navigate that. And then of course the emotional roller coaster of a job search, it's really hard. It's emotionally taxing the ups and downs, the one day you get the interview, the next day you get rejected from a job. Some weeks are great, things are going, the next week isn't. This is just the nature of the search and everyone experiences it. So a big part of it as well is just helping people stay motivated and need to optimize. Like maybe we need to change something up here or maybe we need to think about another path here and just staying motivated so that people do end up in that next role. Um, so that's what we're building right now. Our goal by building a product around this is to make it more affordable and accessible to people. Um, and, uh, because we think everyone deserves access to great career support, um, and support and their job transitions in particular, and in particular right now when so many of us are trying to find our way. Um, so yeah, that's a little preview. And David, how are you? Are you still involved in mental? I'm still collaborating. I'm actually, we have a call uh, with Jamie later today to catch yeah. up. So, Never letting David go. Don't worry. <laughs> <laughs> no, you shouldn't. But since you, since you asked about this and maybe connecting to, to my last point, because I realized, you know, both, both of you got to know me and I'm a fairly positive and optimistic guy. And I don't want to end my remarks on a, let's say more negative note in which I was describing how there's still this lack of supply meets demand in education. I'm a, as you might know also, Yulia, I think in our last chat, we discussed a bit about this. I'm a strong believer in really uh, going back to the basics, because now obviously in the, in the times that we live in, also in terms of subjects you can study, there's a lot of opportunities. And in terms of, you know, the from languages to coding languages you can study. I think in order to be best prepared for whatever the future holds, we should double down on the basics, which are the four C's, which I mentioned in my TED Talk in Luxembourg a couple of years ago. It's it's what the U.S. government promoted during Obama's administration. It's critical thinking, communication, collaboration, and creativity, the skills that will be relevant for years to come in most industries, in most fields, and which most students or all students ideally should learn in their starting from high school and then obviously in higher education. And then probably the pandemic also showed how beyond these skills, which are again 
safe skills to learn that won't change too much or the industries that need them won't change too much in the in the future or you will still be able to use them we will also need this ability to deal with change which i think it's it's again not part of any curriculum per se but activities that help students develop this such as volunteering and and doing projects outside of the typical exams and, and essays would also help um, the ability to to preserve one's mental health is also very important, especially nowadays for both students and employees and people in general, which again, universities are not now doing something about, or at least not enough, but I think there's a huge chance of, again, actually introducing in the curriculum uh, mindfulness or meditation practices. Again, from an earlier age than university, ideally even in primary school or secondary school, and there are schools doing this, but it's not yet scaled. And finally, I think the only, and I've read this in a, book I've, I've uh, read over the holidays, the Christmas holidays, we actually, and I don't want to break it for educators, but we, we don't really actually need formal education. We just need to, to acquire a desire to read and to love books. And if this would be the, the only goal that education managed to, you know, to, to, to achieve is to, to make pupils, young people love reading, and equipping them with the passion and, and you know an insatiable desire to learn, that's a job well done because no school or university can prepare you for what the future holds. As I said, it's really volatile. It's besides a few basic skills, it's hard to predict what will be relevant and needed. But if you develop from an early age a desire to learn and read and, and develop yourself, curiosity, you're pretty much set. So set for life. So that's my my final positive message on on education. Hopefully and the only it's other contagious. thing that I would, I would say on that is I also just think school and the role of education is to help teach people social skills. Yep. You know, that forms the bedrock of a lot of our self-confidence, um, our understanding of ourselves. Social relationships are so critical um, to our well-being, to our curiosity, being around other people who are curious, um, can teach us things. And I think that is a really important role of school, especially um, for people who might also not maybe go into a formal university style four-year education and go right into uh, the workforce. Social skills, collaboration skills are going to be effectively working with others is one of the most important things. Jamie, where can people find the mental? If they want to reach um, out. We are on the World Wide Web, uh, <laughs> you know, um, yeah, we have a website, mento.co, um, also on the relevant social networks, you know, um, but yeah, I hope to, hope to hear from people, shoot us a note. Perfect. I'll make sure to put all the links in the description, oh, both on you. YouTube and the ending. Yeah. So people can find you and get the right support they need for their career. Good. Thank we you like both that. so much for, uh, for today. Yes, thank you for having us. This was an amazing conversation.